listen to this podcast at your peril because spoilers lie ahead. Make sure you've seen all the episodes of Shadow and Bone and welcome to the Grishaverse. This winter, I got to talk to author Lee Barduco about how ideas of belonging and fitting in play out in her work. Finding the people who allow you to be yourself, who don't tolerate you but celebrate you, is just a tremendous gift. This is a theme that I am really engaged in. Who stands beside you? Who has your back in a fight? Who knows you best and loves you despite your faults? You know, who sees your strengths and supports them and, and amplifies them? And then we started talking about our favorite relationships in this series, Shadow and Bone. And when talking about romantic pairings or ships, it brought out another side of her. Can you talk to us about shipping and what it means to you? <laughs> I mean, for me, the ship is always about the slow burn. <laughs> I want to be in agony before I get that first kiss. You know, I'm one of those people that once the couple gets together, I'm like, am I interested in this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad, but. Is there such a thing as a right pairing? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love a villain protagonist romance. You look lovely, by the way. You look like you needed saving. I love enemies to lovers. That's another trope that I can't get enough of. Relax. This isn't where I have my way with you. I can't wait to be back in my own bed. Yeah, I can feel just how much you hate sleeping next to me. Speaking of tropes, you know, the childhood friends thing was definitely at the root of that. I knew what would happen if I somehow passed their test. They would have taken me away. To a palace, Alina. They would have split us up trying to get back to you this whole time. That is that is the way I write my stories and that is the way that I, I want the show to play out. Like, I want the audience to be screaming for two characters to kiss before they actually kiss. Welcome to Behind the Scenes. This season, we're going deep into the world, characters, and locations of Shadow and Bone the new Netflix fantasy adventure series based on the novels by Lee Barduco. This episode is all about relationships, the eternal human quest for connection, and how scary it is to seek it out. Like Lee and I were talking about, she knows just what she's doing when she's torturing you. I'm bad. I've done a lot of bad things. Now, there's a lot of subtleties in conveying romance on screen. Quiet moments behind the scenes... Sound is one of these arts and crafts that oftentimes are subtle. Oftentimes we don't want to be calling attention to ourselves. What is said. There's the words he uses, and then there are his actions. And what is unsaid. It's one of them annoying things. You know, if someone doesn't text you back, you're like, oh, okay, well, they're done with me. They've moved on. That's that. In this episode, we're going to focus on Alina's relationships with General Kerrigan and with Mao, her best friend. And we'll see how through the ups and downs of these connections, Alina learns just how powerful she really is. I'm your host, Brandon Jenkins. Let's get started. I've been asked how General Kerrigan is like myself. I obviously am a magical shadow general, very much like my character. That much, I think, is clear. All-powerful, certainly sounds like me. Revered. Ben Barnes plays General Kerrigan, the most powerful Grisha mysterious, handsome, and the man who might have all the answers for Alina, who might be her Grisha other half. 
if he can be trusted. Ben was kind of an obvious pick for the role of General Kerrigan, aka the Shadow Summoner. He's occupied a unique position among actors since starring as Prince Caspian in the Narnia movies. I've sort of had an extraordinary uh, journey since the Narnia days in terms of people being very, very supportive and kind in fan casting me, as it were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the internet in various different um, fiction roles. Fan casting is basically when fans publicly declare who they want to be cast as a character. And it can get serious. So getting Ben was a big deal. And when Ben was asked if he was interested in the role, he started to do some research into Lee Barduco. And one of the first things I found was some tweets, I think, from about 10 years before where the author had mentioned me in a tweet in relation to this particular character. And I thought, wow, that's kismet, if ever I've seen it. Ben Barnes looks the part of Kerrigan, but he also has a deep understanding of epic stories. I actually did final year college exams referencing Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and, and uh, <laughs> his dark materials and all these extraordinary works of literature that were sort of um, skewed towards younger people. And so I was quite well versed in stories of quest and pursuit of dreams and goals and protagonists that are usually of a certain coming of age moment in their lives. Okay, so the very guy the book fans want to play Kerrigan also studied quest stories? I mean, it's kind of serendipitous, right? I'm just a bit of a word geek, I think. I think words, lyrics are really like important to me and I and that's a part of this process that I really love and and so I'm really proud if I figure out a way to make a line work even if you're just changing one word to figure out a way that that line could have more power or more depth. The fancasters are right. Ben is a great Kerrigan. But I think what Ben's fans are really picking up on is the fact that, like his character, Ben just has a way with words. When he picked up the books, he quickly noticed a major theme in his character's very long life. I think in the case of General Kerrigan, this is someone who has struggled over centuries with loneliness and loss. And then, as in all great love stories, Kerrigan meets possibly the only other person like him. What are you? Alina Starkov, cartographer, Royal Corps Surveyors. Alina Starkov, cartographer and newly discovered Sun Summoner, our show's hero. We talked about Alina and who she is in episode one. Remember, Alina also feels alone in the world, like she doesn't fit in anywhere. She's wary and skittish when we first meet her, and, you know, she doesn't like to make eye contact and... All these little things that I think build, you know, these sort of like delicate shades of who she is rather than just being like, bam, I'm an outsider, you know, I'm different. No one understands me. You know, I wanted it to be in everything she did and every relationship she had. When they first meet, after her Grisha power is revealed, Kirigan is overwhelming. Lift up your sleeve. What's happening? your sleeve and when Kerrigan touches Alina for the first time you know my understanding of it was that she could feel his power and he could feel hers and so to find someone who he genuinely believes has the potential to be his equal I think 
somewhat unsettles him. And she represents literally the light, the literal light at the end of the tunnel for him, potentially. When the, the light actually comes out of Alina's arm, we had this, for lack of a better word, it was almost like a lightsaber that was just coming next to, next to my arm that was, now it's this shooting beam of light. That shooting beam of light is Alina's Grisha power. And Kirigan is the first person to recognize it for what it is, a compliment to his power. She's light, he's shadow, a powerful expression of finding the only other person in the world like you. It's a magical feeling we may recognize, but these people are magic magic, and the audience has to feel it. We don't want it to be too twinkly, I guess for lack of a better way to describe it, that real classic magic sort of sound. But at the same time, you also need something that evokes what people will understand as magic. This is Craig Hennigan, sound designer. He's responsible for making the sounds of magic from Kirigan and Delina. Craig wanted something from the natural world to reflect how the Grisha think of their powers. Despite Jenny's magic, I didn't- Not magic, science. Or rather, small science. We do not conjure from nothing. We manipulate that which already exists around us. So Craig looked to manipulate a material already around us, like water. If you take like a, a, basically a hose with like a jet nozzle on it, you know, the nozzle that you'd sort of wash your car, and then you sort of stuff it in the corner of a swimming pool and you sort of turn it and churn it around so the water's churning, that actually is a pretty big element in... Alina's powers. You have to really ID it, like, but then I, I thin it out a little bit, so I take sort of the low end out of it, and then we put a layer of sort of twinkly stuff on top of it or in the middle of it, and then when I add a little bit of different sort of special sauce to it, it can become this whole other sound that evokes sort of a natural magic. To create the sound of Kirigan's power, Craig pulled from other parts of the natural world. A lot of it is winds. When I say winds, I don't mean like regular winds. I'm talking about like winds that are like recorded from like a door being cracked open, for instance, like a wind, like a draft, you know, or uh, a buffeting wind. Kirigan's world is heaviness and darkness and the other part of his sort of creeping darkness um, these lava flowing sounds when you play that really subtly and you add a little bit of movement or maybe you flange it a little bit or add a little phaser to it and stuff you can kind of get it to kind of creep along the sides of the walls because that's kind of what it's doing visually but it's not calling attention to itself So that's the moment where these two lonely souls meet each other. It's as if they're two halves of a whole for Kirigan. I think that in all stories, particularly ones which involve power and magic and skill sets that are representative of what's inside, you have to start with those metaphors. Kirigan's power is to manipulate the dark and that Alina's power is to manipulate the light. And so straight away you understand that she is the yang to his yin, Mm. or 
she's the yin to his yang, actually. And they realize that there is something in the other that they recognize in themselves. And you can see that this recognition is a huge change for Alina. What do you see? Someone's version of me. Or perhaps the real you has finally emerged. It was really important for me that we established that she is just completely entranced by this person who frightens her and is dangerous, but also is seeing her. Now that Alina has been proven to be the Sun Summoner, she's taken to the Little Palace to be with the Grisha and learn to use her powers. But she's an outsider. Such an honor to formally meet you. You stick with the orphanage of Prince. The only person she can trust is Mao, who she's constantly writing letters to. I wish you were here. If you were, it wouldn't feel so overwhelming. I'm dreaming about that stag again. I know you'd laugh. Tell me it's just a fable. But then again, so is the Sun Summoner. And yet, here I am. Mal is also writing to Alina, but their letters never reach each other. Truth is, when you lit up Kyrgyz's tent, there was a sound, a high tone. I knew it was you. When we were kids, you'd hold my hand, and sometimes I'd hear it in the back of my head. Kirigan is intercepting their letters so that Alina has to rely on him as a confidant. Without Mal, Kirigan seems like the only one who understands Alina. And at first, Kirigan's her only resource to access her powers. This was another romantic trope that Lee Barduco wanted to investigate. I frequently see this kind of trope of the older, more powerful, more dangerous man and the young woman, and it being this sort of thrilling trope that we that we like, you know, that's sexy and exciting. But I wanted to really ask what was behind that and to give Alina the opportunity to throw that off and make her own choices. From Alina's point of view, Kirigan is the only one who gets her, who sees her, and she has a purpose with him. He's also her conduit to using her power. It's a new and exciting feeling, and that's attractive. Alexander. I have been fighting this war alone for so long. I've buried so many good soldiers. Friends, the coffers are running dry, the noose tightens, and our own people are turning against Grisha just as their kin once did. You are not alone. I've been waiting a long time for you. I should go. When things do turn romantic and when they kiss for the first time, it could very well have been 
Alina not knowing what she's doing. And and while obviously we do eventually understand that Kirigan is is the villain here, in those moments, we don't know that. She doesn't know that. And it was really important that Alina is his equal at this point and she makes the choices and she makes the first move. It was important for me that Alina didn't come across as some blushing virgin, you know, who's, oh, I'm, oh no, I'm being taken against my will or something. You know, I really wanted this to be like a healthy choice. She wants to do it. The attraction is happening on multiple levels. Sure, there's your classic, only you understand me. But also, Alina has to rely on Kirigan to bring out her sun summoning powers. He's her amplifier. Small Science 101. Usually an amplifier comes from part of a magical animal. If you kill or somehow harness the animal's power, then it gets transferred to you. We'll get more into that a little later. But a person can also amplify power through touch. And that's what happens between Kirigan and Alina. You know, the, the way I saw it was that when Kirigan touches Alina... As an amplifier, he amplifies her powers um, and makes her use her powers in this extraordinary way. It's like a drug to her. You know, it's a good feeling. A drug. Is that feeling coming from being near Kirigan or being able to finally unleash her Grisha power? At first, it's all the same. But then a new character appears. Bagra. Bring the light. Well, Bagra is the instructor. She's a hard-ass drill sergeant that is uh, tasked with getting Alina up to speed. Merzi Elmas directed the scenes with Bagra and Alina in episode five. When uh, their relationship first starts, we are to believe that uh, Bagra has to bring Alina up from nothing because Alina did not live in the little palace and she didn't grow up with the other Grisha. So she's behind the eight ball to start. She had been undiscovered all of her childhood. So she's already way behind everybody else. And so we think that this hard-ass Bagra is coming after her and trying to, you know, bring her up to speed just because she's behind the eight ball. Yes, the whole point of having Alina at the Little Palace is not just romance. It's to learn to use her power. For all the fantasy of this series, Grisha power isn't that different from getting good at any skill in the real world. You can get good by working on it. But there's a temptation of a shortcut. I think I need an amplifier. Something to boost my strength. You can't light a doorway on your own. What would you amplify? When Kerrigan touched me... General Kerrigan can't be your crutch forever. And the use of amplifiers is a barbaric, lazy you practice. You could at least try to be encouraging. But Bagra is all about hard work and practice. Okay, let's get on with it. Hands out. Palms face each other. Light. Ow! Again. Stop it! I'll stop when you start. You're not sleeping enough. Not enough. Not nearly enough. <laughs> it's easy to look at Bagra as an archetype. You know, she's the grumpy mentor. She's the witch in the woods. But she is also a mother. More specifically, Kirigan's mother. Bagra's 
real reason for being so hard on Alina is because she recognizes Alina's talent and skill and understands what her future is going to be and how her son, Kerrigan, is going to weaponize Alina. Weaponize Alina. That's intense, right? Well, Bagra knows that Kerrigan has ulterior motives before Alina does. So she is somebody that's very grounded. And her character would be inspired by uh, witches and somebody who's able to master the elements around her. And if her son is eternal, imagine how old she is and how powerful she is. And once she learns that Kirigan is close to finding the Morozova stag from Alina's dreams, Bagra has to take action. She understands, of course, if Kirigan gets the stag amplifier, then uh, all hope is lost. He will be unstoppable. So she has this one thing she can do is get, get you know, try get rid of the tracker so the stag can't be found and get rid of Alina. That tracker is Mal. Kirigan will use the stag amplifier for his own ends. Bagra doesn't know how exactly, she just knows Alina is in danger. And you never stood a chance. Do you think this was just about you? He's been obsessed with power, with hunting all of Moritzova's creatures. You nearly gave him the stag. And I'm telling you, you must hide. I won't help him. I'll fight back. You're far from strong enough to face him. I thought I had more time to prepare you, but it'll have to wait. Mal tracked the stag down as a way to get back to Alina. His army unit thinks it's ridiculous. They think Kurigan's lost his mind. It's a fairy tale creature. But Mal believes in Alina. Dear Alina, this may be my last letter to you. This stag has some connection to you. I don't know how or why. But if tracking it down for your general is what will reunite us, then I'll see you soon. We wanted to stab you in the heart. (laughs) I felt it. You know, while Mal is off, you know, losing his friends and bleeding in the snow, Alina knows none of that. And so she is being led down this different path, this this path of wealth and privilege and power. And those things are so appealing. They're so seductive. And he's doing everything he can to to get back to you and, and to help you. And you have no idea. So I hope it's I hope it makes everybody utterly miserable. I mean, yeah, I had the moment where I, I was watching and I was like, ah, like dying in the cold versus I'm like, I bet silk feels nice. Like, you know, just <laughs> Kirigan won't let Mal see Alina, just like he intercepted their letters to each other. Archie Renault plays Mal. It's one of them annoying things, especially with, with the letters not reaching each other. And naturally, you know, it, it, you know, if someone doesn't text you back, you're like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> they're done with me. They've moved on. That's that, you know, and that's that. That, that, that kind of happens. Um, Dear Alina, week's gone and still no word from you. This is my third letter. And Mal's kind of like, what's going on? She's been taken away from me and she's forgotten all about me. And, you know, it's quite, it's quite sad. 
These are two people who have been surviving uh, with each other's help for a very long time and who have learned to rely on each other in a world that does not value them and frequently treats them cruelly and who will truly do anything for each other. And that bond is both beautiful and poisonous because, um, you know, Alina is dependent on that. Mal is dependent on that. And they both need to have it severed in order to come back to each other. But to be honest, Mal, or specifically her fear of losing Mal, is why Alina ignored her Grishahood for most of her life. Mal is this constant, but while she's at the little palace, she has to recognize and acknowledge that she's been suppressing her power for Mal. And is that the healthy thing to do? For Shelley Mills, writer and co-executive producer, the Alina-Mal relationship is at the heart of Alina's story arc. Only after she acknowledges that is she able to let go and like make that light bloom for herself. So there's a piece of really her trying to figure out or find that balance of like, how can I be who I am supposed to be, but also have this relationship that I want. So when Alina sees Mal for the first time, she's nervous. He never responded to her letters. And now she's a living saint. Your powers don't scare me. Is it me, then? Do I scare you? No. Of course not. Why would you think that? Once they're reunited, you know, his priority is not to romance her. It's to support her, like, to whatever she needs. So to me, that's a relationship built on respect. You know, Alina, they are headed off in the woods to escape, and Alina decides she wants to go after the stag. Super dangerous. I found the stag. Kerrigan's orders to track it came from your drawings. I thought you were showing me the way to you. He stole them from my journal. Pagro's diamonds. He's been obsessed with finding it. It's the one amplifier that could rival his power if another Grisha claimed it. And Alina is that Grisha. The best way for Mal to support her is to help her find the stag before Kirigan does. He already found it once, and now they're going to do it together. The showdown in the woods over the stag is the ultimate test. Alina is magically connected to it. We see in flashbacks that for her whole life, she's been visited by the stag in her dreams and drawn pictures of it by day. Chasing down the stag means accepting who she is. She wanted to embrace it, not kill it. But Kerrigan does. What are you doing? I'm going to place this around your neck. I meant why? I didn't kill the stag. It's not my amplifier. He killed it. He gets its power. You asked for this yourself when we met. To transfer your gift to someone who could use it. I can use it now. Kirigan is at his most manipulative here, even if he thinks he's being charming and romantic. Do you know the only thing more powerful than you or me? The two of us. Together. Together, we can end all wars. The question that I always wanted to pose for readers and that I think is on full display in the show is, 
there's the words he uses to manipulate situations and manipulate people, and then there are his actions. You know, he can say, we would be so powerful together, we will rule as equals. Well, if we were meant to rule as equals, why would you put a collar around my neck and steal my power and force me to do mass murder? I don't understand. What... Now, if you're like me, the scene with the sound of the antlers binding to Aline's body uh, was hard to watch. Because it's visceral, not only for the emotional content that Lee is talking about, but that sound. Generally with ground beef, you kind of want it to be half frozen, so it's got a little bit of a wetness thing to it. Craig Hennigan, he made the sound of the antlers sinking in, and he's telling us how to do it. Use ground beef. Make sure it's thawing. But there are other ingredients. My producer, Christine Driscoll, chatted with him about it. Basically go to the grocery store and get a few chickens and some meat and some ground up beef and record stuff and make squishy type weird sounds, right? You know. Sure. Um, so basically the, the specific sound of that is sort of like a flesh, dissolving flesh sound. You take hot water and sort of put it in a cup. And then I just poured a little bit of sugar into the hot water and it actually, it makes this sort of fizzy dissolve, but it doesn't make a dissolve sound the way like an Alka-Seltzer tablet would. It actually makes more of a dull science experiment type bubbling sort of sound. Giving all my secrets away. Come on. I know. I, um, I, I do want to give people yeah. a concept of like, dissolve some sugar and slap some ground beef. Right, 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 track. right, yeah. right. Yeah. The scene was originally even more intense. Craig works for Brad North. Brad puts all the sound effects and music and breathing in the final sound mix. During that scene with the antlers sinking into her into her shoulders and chest, you know, you've got the fleshy stuff, and then you've got the magical stuff, and then you've got, you know, the music, and then you've got her breaths and efforts. And it's a very breathy moment, actually, I remember. It is, and we actually, we reduced it some because she used to be, uh, it used to be a little bit more painful and it, it just, it was the wrong, the wrong way to go. When Alina confronts Kerrigan over how he used the stag's antlers to take her power, we hear a very important line. You don't care who suffers as long as you win. Fine. Make me your villain then. I like to think about each word in a sentence. And the first word is fine, which to me insinuates so much. If that's how you feel, if I have no more recourse in this, if this is the last thing I want to say, that's the word fine. And then make me your villain is saying I'm not a villain. But if you need one for this story, if you need someone to fight, if you want someone to represent the opposite of what you believe, then make me this villain. And I just thought that it was so interesting that it's not fine, I'm the villain, or fine, I'll be the villain. It's, it's make, make me your villain. If you want to fabricate that I'm the bad guy in this, go ahead, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me what people think of me. I've been alive for hundreds of years and I've been called much worse. When Ben breaks it down, 
You can hear that in a lot of ways, it's Kirigan's last effort to use their shared loneliness to manipulate her. This time, Alina isn't falling for it. Not only does she know who Kirigan really is, she's not lonely anymore. She knows that Mao has her back, that she can be home with him and still be the Sun Summoner. She's not making Kirigan a villain. He just is a villain. In the season finale, Alina sees the stag and understands that the relationship she has with herself is the most important. It's just you and me now, Alina. And we are all we need anyway. You may have needed me, but I never needed you. We're seeing Alina truly understand who she is and her power, when there's that moment when she, you know, she drives the knife through his hand and she stands on her own and she claims the stag's power for her own. I mean, I just screamed in joy and triumph. I I texted Eric when I was watching that episode and was just like, yes! Like, it was so um, satisfying and cathartic and I just loved seeing Jesse um, in that moment. In the next episode, we'll go behind the scenes of that final battle, where Alina and a few other friends you might recognize take down Kirigan. And we'll get into the backstory of the Shadowfold and the threats that lurk there, the Volcra. I'm fascinated by great white sharks. I always have been. You know, it's a line in the original movie Jaws. This is a perfect eating machine. I have a deep abiding fear of sharks and I think that the fold now that I think about it is sort of like a dark ocean wherein you know full of flying sharks this is the behind the scenes podcast shadow and bone make sure to subscribe rate and review this podcast so you don't miss a single episode I'm your host Brandon Jenkins until next time